0: it's tech biter worldwide i'm bill Blynn with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes that's because we leave out the sports most of the jingles the weather and the commercials podcast number 349 for june 30th 2013 this week i've changed my mind about adobe's creative cloud Although I like it, Adobe really should reconsider its policies. If you want your own website, there are lots of options. We'll look at some of them. In short circuits, office intrigue rumored in Redmond. Better Wi Fi in your home might require some new hardware. The FTC says search engine advertisements need to be more identifiable. And shaping up as the year of the tablet, 2013 might be the end of the color ebook reader. When Adobe's product managers first described the decision to switch away from perpetual licenses for what was Creative Suite, and to rename it Creative Cloud, I thought it was a great idea. For those who buy every Adobe update, Creative Cloud would reduce the cost quite a bit. Even those who purchase only alternate upgrades would save a little bit. Those who update less frequently would probably pay a bit more. It seemed like a good idea, but then so did the new Coke in 1985. So now my message to Adobe is this. Please reconsider. New Coke was the reformulation of Coca-Cola to replace the original formula of its flagship soft drink. The company positioned it as the new taste of Coca-Cola, but buyers hated it. Within a month, Coke was in retreat. We did not understand the deep emotions of so many of our customers for Coca-Cola, said the company president. Coca-Cola brought back the old formulation as Coke Classic, and eventually renamed the new formulation Coca-Cola 2. In much more recent history, Microsoft eliminated the start button from Windows 8, and people who felt they were being forced to do something rebelled. Microsoft is bringing the start button back, but in a most illogical way, and I suspect we haven't heard the last of that particular fiasco. What I neglected to take into account in Adobe's case is this. Some of the people who use Photoshop and the other Adobe products at home or in very small businesses update the applications infrequently, perhaps every 8 to 10 years. I also didn't take into account people who might retire, and although they no longer need to keep the latest version of the software on their computers, would still like to continue using what they had when they retired. Creative Cloud locks users such as these out, and the pushback shows signs of turning into an outright revolt. More than 30,000 people have already signed a petition that calls on Adobe to reconsider and to continue making the Creative Suite available with a perpetual license. For nearly a decade, I've referred to Adobe as a humble company with all the very best meanings of humble, meaning that they took their products and their mission very seriously, but they were sufficiently open that they were willing to listen to customers. Now, that seems not to be the case. A little background on the word humble. In 2006, I wrote a review that said InDesign was clearly the future of publishing, but the feature set was still lagging behind what Ventura publisher users had. After I did that, I received a call from the program manager. On a trip to Seattle a few weeks later, I met with a dozen or so InDesign developers and explained what was missing from my point of view. I'm sure that the developers were already working on a lot of the features I talked about, but they had the patience to hear me out and today InDesign includes most of those features. That's what I mean by humble. Today's Adobe essentially owns the communications market. If you need to prepare something for print, Adobe InDesign or Illustrator are your choices. Adobe's Dreamweaver powers the development of a huge number of professional websites, Premiere and all of the ancillary video applications are commonly used to create television productions. And Audition, besides being used to edit video soundtracks, is a key application for audio producers. Adobe is everywhere. Maybe the company has become a bit less humble in the process of becoming so successful and so large. Successful people sometimes lose objectivity about their own intelligence, and sometimes they decide that whatever they want is what the market will want. Or at least accept. We've seen this with companies such as General Motors and Toyota. WordPerfect once owned the word processor market, but now most people probably don't even know that it still exists as part of Corel. NASA's long-standing attitude of invulnerability led to two shuttle disasters. Sears and Pennies, they were so big that they nearly drove themselves out of business. And on the topic of driving, who's driving this change? I suspect that it's not Adobe's program managers. This is the kind of decision that usually can be traced back to the marketing department. Has the Adobe marketing staff lost touch with how people react to being told that they no longer have any choice? It's my way or the highway has never been a popular rallying call, and clearly it's not so popular now. Adobe is not too big to fail. Students of ancient history know that empires that became powerful often overextended themselves. In effect, their success sowed the seeds of their own destruction. And then they're swept into history's dustbin. So, is this where Adobe's going? It's true, as I say, that Adobe owns the communications market today, but that doesn't mean they'll own it forever. Adobe's applications are well-made, and every Adobe product manager I've met or talked to is sincerely trying to create the best applications possible. Adobe's pricing, whether for perpetual licenses or creative cloud or Fair, but Adobe is pushing the market toward a software rental model much faster than the market wants to go. And even if the market does someday conclude that renting applications is the best possible option in most cases, there are still people who are going to prefer to have a perpetual license. So I say to Adobe that as a longtime fan of your applications and one who appreciates the company I've known over the years, I have to tell you that you're on the wrong path. Now is the time to restore standard licensing to the Creative Suite. Anne-Marie Concepcion and David Blattner run InDesign Secrets, and in a recent podcast, the topic was Creative Cloud. Anne-Marie told me this week that she wishes there was still a choice of subscription or purchase, and I think that's probably the opinion of many people who recognize that Adobe's new rental or lease scheme does offer some true values. I posted some information from Anne-Marie on the Techfighter Worldwide website, including a link to the InDesign Secrets site, where there was a discussion of Creative Cloud, and the InDesign Secrets blog received more than 200 comments, some of which reflected a complete lack of information about how Creative Cloud works. The software, after all, isn't web-based. You install it just as you always have. And the opinions ranged from highly positive to totally negative. I provided a copy of this article to Adobe via the company's well-known public relations firm, Edelman, which is the world's largest public relations firm, and Alex Morricone asked me for clarification. To clarify, he said, does this sound like your question? Please describe why Adobe chose to transition to Creative Cloud despite the potential pushback from customers. I responded to Alex saying, well, thanks, Alex, but it's kind of difficult to reduce an 800-word observation to a 16-word question, for which Adobe probably already has created a carefully written and thoroughly rehearsed reply. Ideally, somebody at Adobe would be provided the opportunity to read the entire 800-word report, reading time for an average reader would be less than three minutes, and then to respond to the entire article but if it must be reduced to basic PR-vetted questions, here they are. I then listed six questions. You'll find those questions on the TechBiter Worldwide website, and you'll note that I provided a deadline. I had to have responses no later than 3 p.m. Eastern time on Friday, the 28th of June. Frank Bausch at Edelman responded, saying that not all of the questions could be addressed in the time available, but he did make the following information available. First, on accessing files after you've retired or no longer use the software. and This is a quote from Adobe. With regards to file access, Adobe completely agrees that customers should have access to their files if they choose to stop their Creative Cloud membership. Our job is to delight our customers with innovation, but there are a number of options open to us here, and we expect to have news around this issue shortly. Some people feel that Adobe is abandoning small business, and the response to that charge... For photographers, we're looking at potential offerings that recognize the photography community because it is so broad and has some unique needs. It's also worth noting that CS6 products will continue to be sold as they have been through Adobe.com and all reseller partners for those who prefer that option. And there are questions about the motivations for the change. Is it purely financial? The response from Adobe... We want to start off by reinforcing that we continue to believe that the move to Creative Cloud will benefit the wider creative community because of the constant stream of innovation that we've been able to deliver. Creative Cloud also allows us to explore new areas in mobile apps, helping you to collaborate better and build a meaningful worldwide community to share work and find inspiration. Now, if Adobe follows through by providing meaningful access to applications when a user no longer needs those applications on a daily basis and offers a less costly program that addresses those who need just the photographic products, that will go a long way toward addressing the most serious concerns. As I told Frank, I agree there are real advantages to the new system, but there are always people who will prefer to own cars instead of lease them. And it would seem that this distinction applies to software, even though a perpetual license doesn't really bestow ownership. There is, definitely, some very real annoyance out there. You want to build your own website? Well, now what? There's no shortage of options. You could hire somebody to create the site. You can do it yourself. You can pay for website hosting. You can get it for free. There's no right. There's no wrong when it comes to the answers you choose because it all depends on what you need and how much work you're willing to do on your own and what your budget is. Angelfire and GeoCities have provided free websites for many years, usually with attached advertising that you may or may not want. Angelfire still exists. GeoCities doesn't. The free sites have generally been mundane in terms of features. This has changed, though, and if you're a do-it-yourself type, the number of choices you have has increased substantially. One of the first things you need to decide is what you want the website to do. I was sitting in on a meeting recently with a website designer and a team from a large corporation that will remain nameless. The corporate team wanted to start with the look and feel of their proposed site and then determine later the operational mechanics. I am delighted to say that I am not involved with this project in any way, because it is doomed to failure, unless the designer is able to convince the corporate team to stand their plan on its head. Figure out what you want to do first, then figure out what you want it to look like. If you don't know what the website is supposed to do, you're not going to be able to design a successful user interface. This is analogous to jumping into your car at the beginning of a vacation and driving off without bothering to figure out how you're going to get from Columbus to San Francisco. You might eventually get there, but the outcome is much more likely if you have some plans. Once you've defined some goals, then it's time to determine how you want to build the website and where you want to host it. At the same time, you'll need to make some decisions about how much to spend. Professional website hosting varies in price from around $50 a year to $300 a year for basic services. In other words, it costs Google a little bit more than $300 a year to host its many services. But people who want to host just a few domain names on a site that's somewhere below the 1,000 most popular sites on the web, you'll expect to pay $50 to $300 a year. Advertising-supported hosting is free, but you'll have to allow the hosting service to place ads on your page. Paid services include operations such as GoDaddy. They're down in the $50 a year range. Then there's Bluehost, kind of in the middle, around $100 per year, and they offer a lot of additional services. And then there's Network Solutions, figure $150 to $450 a year. Most of the hosting services also offer some extra cost add-ons. And you'll need to rent a domain name. TechBiter.com is an example of a domain name, and it's the one I've rented. And it is a rental, not a purchase. I pay the registrar fee every year to continue using the domain name. If I don't pay, I can't use the name. In most cases, the rental fee is modest, 10 to $20 a year, although some domain types do carry higher fees. In some cases, the company that provides the site hosting will also provide domain name registration or vice versa. My preference, generally, has been to separate these functions because some unscrupulous operators have been known to register a domain in their name and then hold it for ransom if the user wants to move the site to a new host. Most of the companies that used that tactic are now out of business. They're gone. And reputable hosting companies can be trusted To play fair. As I mentioned, free services such as Angel Fire are still around. The other big provider, GeoCities, no longer provides free sites. But now it's possible to create a free website using a variety of different website development tools and hosting services. You can choose to buy software to develop your site, or in the case of Adobe, rent the software on a month to month basis. I decided to try out some of the options. I set a limit of about 10 minutes for any site just to see what I could create in a 10-minute period. So, you'll find examples of a site on AngelFire, one on Wix. Another option is called About Me. They offer social media buttons and make your site available to mobile users. I was able to create a site, but in my self-imposed 10-minute limit, I wasn't able to figure out how to add any text to the page. Weebly says that it is surprisingly easy, and I agree, it took less than two minutes to create a Weebly site, and Weebly offers a lot of cool templates. In fact, more than 100 templates. Some are better for corporate sites, some for individuals. Weebly regularly adds new themes and removes old ones, so that looks like kind of a winner to me. That's not all, though. There are lots of other website development tools. Investigate them to see which one might suit your needs. Visit CarbonMade, primarily for portfolios. There's Flavors.me, they call themselves the Digital You. There's Breezy, with an I at the end, the world's first design remix engine. However, I was never able to get that site to load on the day I was looking at these sites. And I also looked at Zerply, that's another site that seems primarily for artists. If you want a website, you'll find a way to create one for free, for a little, or for a lot. In short circuits, persistent rumors continue to predict major upheavals at Microsoft. Windows 8.1 was revealed at the annual Build Conference this week in San Francisco. Next week, the Worldwide Partners Conference gets underway in Houston. The question is whether some of Microsoft's top executives will still be with the company. Reports suggest that CEO Steve Ballmer has been meeting with a tiny group of executives, and that has managers who haven't been invited to participate in the Inner Sanctum discussions, pondering their futures. Wall Street has repeatedly questioned Ballmer's management capabilities in light of the company's lackluster performance, But the stock's performance has improved through much of this year. Bloomberg News says that Ballmer's plan will consolidate Microsoft's eight divisions into just four business units—enterprise, hardware, applications and services, and operating systems. Late last year, Balmer's annual letter to stockholders said that the Microsoft of the future would be less a software company and more a devices and services company, and this change has been seen in Microsoft's entry into the hardware market with its Surface tablets for Windows 8. Following the Windows 8 launch, the man who was widely credited with converting the failed Windows Vista into the successful Windows 7, Steve Sinofsky, head of the Windows division at that time, was unceremoniously booted. Sanofsky and Balmer reportedly had clashed on the future of Windows, and Balmer is generally known not to appreciate advice that runs counter to his conclusions. Would you spend some money to buy a new wi-fi router for your house if that would improve things? In the old days modem speeds changed and we could replace that 300 baud modem with a 1200 baud modem or maybe the 1200-baud modem with a 2400-baud modem, starting around $400, as I recall. Then came faster modems, lower prices, and broadband, which eliminated the need for modems, but made it possible to share a single broadband connection with a variety of devices in our homes. And now, that's about to change. The next generation of Wi-Fi is on the way, and it's likely to improve connectivity in addition to making connections faster. Get ready for 802.11ac. If you have the latest technology, that would be 802.11n at home, then the new Wi-Fi routers could be four times faster. Of course, you'll need devices that can accommodate the new standard, but you'll find compliant smartphones and computers in stores already. The Wi-Fi routers are there too. Why do we need this? Simple. We have more stuff A research firm says that the number of Wi-Fi connected devices in U.S. households has doubled in the past five years. Now, instead of just a notebook computer, you might have one or more phones that use Wi-Fi connections, an e-book reader, a tablet, maybe something that's connected to your television. Although your broadband connection may provide enough speed to handle all those devices, the Wi-Fi router might not. Wi-Fi currently runs in the 2.5 gigahertz section of the radio spectrum. The new routers can fall back to that crowded part of the spectrum to handle existing devices, but the new devices will run in the 5 gigahertz part of the band. The result? More concurrent connections, higher speeds, fewer disconnects. Also, less interference from wireless phones, garage door openers, and baby monitors. You might consider these new Wi-Fi routers expensive, 150 bucks instead of 50 or so for the current technology, but if those prices do seem a little high, just think back to the days when you paid $400 in the late 1980s, and in 1980s dollars, for a 2400 baud modem, and you thought it was fast. The current batch of 802.11ac routers in stores will be replaced by Wi-Fi Alliance certified versions later this year. If you wait until this time next year, prices will probably be down to about a hundred dollars. The last big Wi-Fi upgrade happened six years ago with the 802.11n standard. Previous versions included 802.11a, 802.11b, 802.11g. So now you need to watch for 802.11ac. And you'll find a link on the TankBinder Worldwide website to a 1987 article talking about fast modems. The Trade Commission would like search engines to more clearly identify paid advertisements in search results. The commission says it has noticed that search engine operators are failing to comply with guidelines issued more than a decade ago. Advertisements should have text labels that are placed in front of an ad or in the top left corner of a search box. That request was sent to Google, Bing, Yahoo, and a bunch of other smaller specialized search sites generally used to advertise businesses that support the travel industry or that are used by shoppers who are investigating prices. The FTC's Associate Director for Advertising Practices, Mary Kay Engel, told the search engine operators that consumers must be able to easily distinguish a natural search result from advertising that a search engine delivers. Currently, the big three search engines, and most of the smaller ones, place a shaded background behind paid ads. But Engel says the shading is often so light that consumers might not notice it. 2013 is shaping up as the year of the tablet but it may also be the end of the color ebook reader. Barnes & Noble this week announced that it will no longer manufacture color versions of its Nook reader, but it will continue to make the monochrome versions. The problem with color ebook readers is that they serve a single purpose, while tablets, although more expensive, can serve as ebook readers in addition to offering all the advantages of a handheld computer. The monochrome versions of readers are very inexpensive, and they have some market share still, but it seems increasingly likely that readers as a class of electronic devices are nearing their end of life. Barnes & Noble has a free version of the Nook Reader that runs on PCs and tablets. Some people, including me, consider the Nook Reader on a tablet to be even better than Amazon's Kindle Reader on a tablet. But Barnes & Noble is under intense financial pressure. The company's 675 stores are in jeopardy as the company continues to lose money. The company's been looking for a buyer and has been in talks with Microsoft about a possible investment in the company's digital products. The company's inventory of digital books may well be its most valuable asset. How that will affect the company's future as an independent business or as a division of some other company is not at all clear. Thanks for listening to Tech Biter Worldwide, the weekly podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. All music on TechBiter Worldwide is licensed under the Creative Commons, and information about performers is on the website, www.techbiter.com. I'm Bill Blynn, and if you'd like, you can also send me a message from the website. Thanks for listening. I look forward to talking with you again in a week.